Hey y'all, I know some of you may be used to my content being just a little bit more filtered and censored for children's ears. And so I just want to encourage you to today, if you do listen to this as you go to pick up your kids from school or drive them to any after school activities, that you may want to censor this episode before allowing little ears to hear it. That said, this is also one of those episodes that I feel the need to give a disclaimer for that this is not medical or professional advice. I am a licensed dietitian in the state of Texas, a registered dietitian in the U.S., and have the credentials to speak on nutrition and feeding your family. However, this is not advice that's directly implied for you. So if you want to engage in a one-on-one relationship, please make sure to reach out to me individually, but also know that the purposes of this episode are for information basis only and not for personal medical care. Hey mama, I'm Ashley and welcome to the Veggies and Virtue podcast. In this podcast, you will find simple menu ideas, kitchen organizational systems spelled out for mom life and feeding tips and tricks that are both evidence-based and grace-laced. I believe that you can find flexibility when it comes to feeding your family so that you can feel calm, capable, and connected in the kitchen. As a registered dietitian and Christian mom of three myself, I want you to break free from the mealtime battles and to feel equipped while feeding your kids all day long. Pull up a stool at my kitchen counter and let me pour you a cup of coffee and say a quick prayer for you. It's time to chat about the mealtimes, messes, moments, and ministry of motherhood. This all said, you can probably see, I'm easing into a bit of a heavy hitter. So if your brain's already kind of maxed out for the day, or you're starting the day, just sleep deprived, hormonal, whatever it might be, might be a good episode to tab and save for later. However, I feel the need to go ahead and dive into this topic because as I was preparing for this episode, I felt that the Lord really put something on my heart. And the more that I was researching it and diving into it, the more I just started digging through the most recent recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you've been on social media the last week or heard much in the news, the American Academy of Pediatrics released an executive summary last week on the clinical practice guidelines for the evaluation and the treatment of children and adolescents with obesity. Myself and many colleagues have been trying to share bits and pieces of this information as we kind of sift through these recommendations ourselves, knowing that as registered dietitians, First and foremost, we always want to be evidence-based and look at the literature and look at the studies that that have been done to show the long-term impact of some of these approaches that people take in their life and with their diet and with their nutrition and how that impacts their overall health and well-being over the lifespan. And so obviously as a pediatric dietitian, I'm most concerned on the formative years of a person's life and how we can impact that for good and to shape them, or I should say shape more of their habits to set them up for success in a way that they will have a healthy relationship with all foods, that they will feel a sense of food freedom and eating competence, which is something I often talk about as well. And so that they aren't struggling with things like body shame or eating disorders, or as we see in the context of this executive summary from the American Academy of Pediatrics, things like overweight, obesity, and some of the comorbidities that can come with that. So I share that because that's always the foundation of where our clinical practice wants to start. However, I'm pretty transparent to say that while I want to be evidence-based as a mom and as a believer, I also truly believe in making sure that our parenting practices and the way that we approach feeding our families is also grace-laced. And so that's the position I'm coming at today's episode from. You know, I try and keep my episodes 15 to 20 minutes, so this will not be able to be 
an episode where I sift through the executive summary with a fine tooth comb. However, I do want to highlight some considerations for you that you can take from some of the information you might be getting out of this executive summary, what it means for you, and some of the cautions that um, are really initially what kind of brought me to recording this episode so that you can kind of put it all together in a big picture and how it might impact your family. Before we dive into a little bit more of the heavy content for today, I want to go ahead and thank KB1503 for her recent podcast review on the Veggies and Virtue podcast. She shared five stars, my favorite podcast. I love how Ashley's podcast makes me feel like I'm listening to my friend sitting right next to me. She speaks such sincerity about all the topics she covers. I've been following Veggies and Virtue for a while, and I will keep doing now for many years to come. And I don't get the chance to know your names necessarily from these Apple reviews, but I just want to thank each of you so much who have left me a review. Truly means a lot to me. Truly helps me reach more moms and more families with the messages that I come on here to share. So if you have a quick sec, even while you're listening to me, the audio can still continue to play while you scroll down on the Apple iTunes, or excuse me, Apple podcast app. You just scroll down and you can tap five stars and then leave a written review. It takes you just a couple seconds, but it truly makes a huge impact on my ability to serve more families. So just want to thank you so much for leaving me that review and encourage each of you who haven't left a review to consider doing so. Now I want to go ahead and kind of dive into the content for today's episode because Actually, what I was doing was preparing for a presentation I have coming up in a couple of weeks to a local moms, or excuse me, moms group, but MOPS, if you're familiar with that organization, where I'm so thankful I get to do these live presentations. I can do them virtually too. If you ever have interest there, you can reach out to me, but I'm thankful to get to connect with these moms. It always just kind of brings a human and personal element to the more online space that I tend to work in. But as I was preparing for the presentation, I was just thinking about what's at stake. And how, depending on the size of room that I speak to at this particular presentation, or in the thousands of you that listen to my show every week, I just felt this burden as a dietitian and and as a mom thinking of the number of us who will have a child who develops an eating disorder and who will have a child, be it a son or a daughter, who starves themselves to feel more accepted or who hides in shame and such secrecy and falls subject to the vicious cycle of binging and purging or a life of chronic dieting. And when I think of this in relation to the recent executive summary from the American Academy of Pediatrics, I just think about what a challenging spot we're in as parents. Because as the executive summary does address, there are a lot of barriers to proper and effective health care to support children and ultimately families in a variety of different socioeconomic, cultural, geographical, and environmental areas. And we know that there are both public health inequities that are associated with the risk factors for overweight and obesity. And we know that there is a danger in stigmatizing children with overweight and obesity and their families when we look at things like race or ethnicity, age, income, genetic, and biological factors. And these are disparities that from a public health perspective must be addressed. But for the standpoint of this episode and for the sake of time with that we have here, I want to think about the gold standard advice. What I hope every parent could learn 
would have the access and the ability to learn and implement. And what ultimately I hope our next generation grows up developing when it comes to their relationship with food. And just as there's multifactorial approaches to obesity prevention and parents and caregivers play a crucial role in both of those, what I also see and what I really want to hone in on today is the role that we as parents can do. This won't be able to address the policy or the legal action that we can do or some of the more educational programming curriculum type prevention programs that can and ideally would and should exist in communities all over the country and all over the world. Instead, I am honing in on within your home. And some of the things that I think are really important for you as, I'm assuming probably the mom, since that tends to be my majority listener, what you want to keep in mind. Because when the reality is that the age of onset of an eating disorder is declining. And so now, instead of looking at the ages of 16, 17, 18, being the average age of onset for eating disorders like anorexia nervosa or binge eating disorder, we're looking at younger and younger children being affected. And on the seemingly flip side of it, we now have an increased attention on what this executive summary says in terms of how we should approach overweight and obesity and the suggestions for treatment in children and adolescents. But I feel that so often, especially in the media and when something comes up like this, if the emphasis becomes on obesity, the whiplash can often misguide parents in the opposite direction. And equally so, if a concerned yet misguided parent became excessively concerned about eating disorders, we could see another adverse health outcome as the result. So as parents, understandably, we're confused. We're confused on how we prevent and or treat obesity in our children. And we're confused on how we prevent or treat eating disorders in our children. And as parents, we don't always feel armed with the resources and the tools in our toolbox to even know how to address these things because we assume that we might see them. We assume that we might see our child's weight and be able to begin to even identify patterns that could be related to overweight and obesity or the perceived underweight nature of something like an eating disorder such as anorexia. And so we begin to try and help these kids that we love so much. And yet in our attempt to help them, we often are predisposing them to a life of disordered eating habits because we know within the overweight and obese community, and even within the community that has pursued surgeries for weight loss, that they're at high risk for weight fluctuation and disordered eating habits. And yet less than 6% of people with an eating disorder are considered medically underweight. And so what we look at is these disordered eating patterns are not visible to the eye, but that's what us as parents have been raised to believe. So many of us, whether we were raised in a household that had established feeding behaviors that did promote our health and did set us up with a tremendous advantage and blessing of having access and exposure to a variety of healthy foods and having body positivity shared 
among family members. And where we did get to cultivate and create that eating competence that now we get to parent out of. That is the ideal. And that is what I am here every single day to try and help do in each and every house I can reach. Because that was something that I did have the privilege of having. And so it is something outside of being a trained dietitian that I have the natural and personal inclination to get to help walk other people through now from a prevention and or a treatment perspective. But I know from working with hundreds, if not thousands of families now, there's a lot of us that weren't raised in that kind of environment. So not only are those parents coming from a position where they did not have that advantage early on in life, but now they're also trying to food parent their children from a place that may not even be recovered from the disordered eating habits that they were raised to owe. And so when we look at the outside of a child and we assume what their health status or their predisposition to common chronic diseases might be, which obesity is a common chronic disease in pediatrics, as are eating disorders. But when we go with our eyes and assume that we are able to understand the God-given body of any child, let alone our own child, and we feed it according to what is visible to the eye, we are only further perpetuating stigmas that are going to shape the way our kids see themselves, feed themselves, and ultimately treat one another. So as parents, what are we supposed to do? Where do we begin this new year? And maybe with plans already in our head of how we want to go about it for our own health or in shaping our families, we already have goals in mind. And my hope and my prayer is that if they're not consistent with promoting eating competence, not only to your kids, but in yourself, that this episode is a God-given nudge to, as I told a client last week, begin focusing on the qualitative aspects of how you feed yourselves, how you feed your children, and ultimately how your family eats and what that environment looks like before you begin focusing on the quantitative measures that can misguide our approaches and the way we go about establishing an environment that shapes our children's lives. And I'm not saying this whole episode to scare you. I don't want in any way for you to feel hopeless that you have already missed the boat or the window has closed or that no matter what age and stage your child is at or what your feeding history looks like, that there is not still hope because there most absolutely is. And if you have questions about that, please, please, please reach out to me in response to this episode. But just as much as I don't want to scare you, I also do not want the next generation to be raised with a relationship with food that is based in fear. Because there is freedom in how we eat and how we honor our bodies that in too many households today is not being harnessed. And so while today's episode was less tactical, practical, follow these four steps to XYZ, what I want to invite you in on is my upcoming workshop and the opportunity to invest in this process. Because as I say in the workshop, the world tells us that in January, we are to focus on goals. And yet by February, we often already feel like a failure. But what I want you to know is that is your journey is marked by growth. 
So if your January right now is about goals, let's make your journey about growth so that wherever you and your own relationship with food come from or where that relationship with food is starting off at for your family, show up for it preventatively in a way that's proactive, in a way that is evidence-based, and yet in a way that is grace-laced, and in a way that gives your children the privilege of having parents and caregivers who are playing a crucial role in preventing chronic diseases on either end of the spectrum, from obesity to eating disorders, but who help foster a family's feeding environment that allow them to live a life of freedom when it comes to their relationship with food. And if you hear this and you still say to yourself, I have no idea how to do that. That is why I'm inviting you to my free workshop. The only investment you have to make is of your time. I will share quick and practical and more tactical tips with you on the workshop to give you that roadmap that I think will begin to help you drive in the direction that you should go. I will also be opening up my enrollment to my Mealtimes Made Easy method. And as we talk about health inequities, I know that this program will not be for every family. But I also am convinced that after over a decade as a pediatric dietitian, this is the flagship framework that I want my business to be behind. Because I want to help families understand food freedom. And I want that to be a legacy that parents feel that they can pass down through the minutia of each and every meal we are feeding our kids. And so I am going to also, at the end of the workshop, open up the opportunity for families who want to know how to foster this, who want to have the tools in their tool belts to do this, but who also need the accountability, the expertise, and the understanding of how to accomplish this amidst the day-to-day hustle, the mental fatigue, the sleepless nights, and all the things that we juggle as moms. So for more on the free workshop happening this Wednesday, January 18th, you must be registered to get the live link or to get the replay. I want you to go to veggiesandvirtue.com forward slash workshop or just scroll down and look in the show notes and there'll be a really easy link. You can just click through there and make sure you're signed up to get all the details and information in advance of the workshop, but also in the case that you can't show up live so that you can have access to the replay. Additionally, if you want any information in regards to my Mealtimes Made Easy method as enrollment opens this Wednesday, you at any time can go to mealtimesmadeeasy.com. Otherwise, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. This is not the soapbox that I expect to speak on for this episode. However, between the executive summary coming out, the workshop on Wednesday, and preparing my heart and the presentation for this MOPS group that I have in a couple weeks, I just really felt this on my heart to share, and I hope that it encouraged you wherever you're at.